Uh, anyway, are we ready? Okay. Birdman. <laughs> what <laughs> did he just do? This is our episode part two. You're supposed to say welcome to Bonehead. I don't. Have, I get made fun of by Eric Jarvis for saying welcome to Bonehead. Yes, you didn't hear them the whole time during no. Scarefest. No. They walk up and down the hallway screaming welcome to Bonehead. Haley heard it five thousand times. Even when you were in the room and not near them. Yes. Welcome to Bonehead. Apparently, Screw you, Eric Jarvis. Apparently, somewhere in the College of Dentistry, there's a computer with us going, Welcome to Bonehead, playing over <laughs> and over and over. Welcome to Bonehead. This week's episode is part two of The Twilight Zone. We have Joe Lewis, Chad Jennings, and The Punisher. The Grim Spanker of Death. The, green, the Grim Spanker? The Spanker of Death. <laughs> I'm such a Grim, Grim Spanker. <laughs> All right. Moving right along. If you watched our last episode... Somebody and you... didn't eat all their peas today. <laughs> did you say penis? Peas. Why did I hear penis? What? <laughs> if you watched our last episode, you know that this is now our second episode. Uh, of the Twilight Zone. Okay, I was going to say, technically, it's like our 56th? Six, seven, something like that. Yeah, we've been doing this a long time. Yeah, you ready to quit? What? No, well, I was really excited about the Twilight Zone. <laughs> <laughs> I got to be honest, every once in a while, there's a topic. 59. 59. Call me when it's 68. I do multiplication. I was really excited about this topic, because there's not... All... Are you excited about every topic we do on the show, fellas? I mean... Yeah, no, I was I was peeing my pants with excitement about all those Stephen Kings. Listen, those were good. Yeah, those audience, those were fantastic. Demanded it, and we delivered, right, Haley? No, we haven't done King Part Five yet. Have they asked for it? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) The only person who really brought it up was you, actually. According to Stephen King's attorney, he has asked us to quote keep his name out his out of our mouth. Out of his mouth. Out of his mouth. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's okay. Well, anyway, so this is the Twilight Zone Part 2. If you've not seen Twilight Zone Part 1, you're probably going to be okay. Yeah. Or if you start to watch this episode and all of a sudden you're transplanted back in time to watch Episode 1, you might be in the Twilight Zone. Or listen to it. Or in Outer Limits. This is where you say or a thriller. Or a Thriller night. All right. So in the last, and behind the camera, if you're not watching, or if you are watching, Haley is doing the thriller dance. By the way, even if they were watching, they couldn't see it. She's behind the camera. camera shoots both ways. That's a Robert Redford movie about horses. What? (laughs) I'm so confused, and I need a hug. Not by you. (laughs) All right. So we left off on some. Oh, really? Honey, oh. What are you eating down there? Why do you have so much cereal? What is up with the cereal? I eat a lot of cereal. It's cheap. Do you have any sugar crisp? What other cereal? So you have have Frankenberry and what else? Honey oats? crisp supports the Nazi agenda, and I'll continue to say that until somebody provides me evidence otherwise. Balls in your court talking uh, bear thing. 
What the hell is he talking well, about? I have no idea. Can we get back to the Twilight Zone? Yeah, let's talk Zone? about Twilight Zone because I'm getting more and more so confused. In our last episode, we left off with our favorite for with our favorite episodes of the Twilight Zone. I said episode way too many times, one too many times in those. Oh, it would have been so good for the YouTube listeners if if at the end of part one you just freeze us and going like to be continued. No. Yeah, fine. Screw everybody. All right, let's get Except back Haley, to like Richard Matheson. <laughs> so there's a lot of great episodes. I don't know how nope. many you want to go through, but can I talk about <laughs> <laughs> the Invaders? Do you guys remember the oh, Invaders? Yeah. It I starred, remember Space Invaders. It starred Agnes Moorhead. And Agnes yeah. Moorhead is an... <laughs> no, Chad. Just No. No, Oddly Jeff. enough, she played Bewitched. She played the mother on Bewitched. That was Agnes Moorhead. She was also in a movie called The Bat. There was a yep. lot of Moorhead in The Bat. <laughs> there was a lot of Moorhead in Bewitched. Mm-hmm. And there was some Moorhead in The Invaders. The Invaders were getting invaded by Moorhead. Head. Uh huh. All right. So, are you done now? No. You done? You done? You went to where, Chad? To school? What did he say? What? I said somebody's got the giggles. Where did you go to school, Chad? Was there any more head in Richard Spinks? (laughs) Sorry, Spinkter. I I stretched it. Dick Spinkter. Can we get on with you? You stretched the Spinkter? (laughs) No way in hell. You did no damage to that sphincter whatsoever. Oh, there was plenty of left for the rest of that gangbang with that sphincter. You did no damage. Twilight Zone. Mm. Agnes Moorhead was in an episode called them. The Invaders. Yeah. The Invaders is this. You both will remember it as soon as it. It's a little old lady in a cabin, and these oh. little aliens start landing and attacking her, and there's no dialogue. Right. Yeah. So that's the plot. And she has to fight off an alien invasion. Right? Right. We follow this lady. She's taking them out one at a time, one at a time, as they're being cruel and malicious to her. And she attacks, and she finally kills them all. And then finally, what's the twist at the end of the episode, gentlemen? Do you remember? They were humans. They're humans. You see the little American flag on one of the little ones. Agnes Warhead's a huge-ass giant, and we've landed on their planet. And that's the last, that's the only dialogue you hear is them uh, basically calling for help. Yeah. It's just one of those great episodes because it has a wonderful twist ending that I that I probably gave away. But if you haven't watched, really, if you haven't watched these episodes, why are you watching this episode? But, what do you right. think of the no, Twilight Zone? Keep watching this episode. Please, <laughs> don't quit watching it. And then subscribe. And then make your family subscribe. And then make them subscribe to YouTube, iTunes, and SoundCloud because we need love. And on iTunes, you got to look us up under Bonehead Humor. We're yeah, working on yeah. it. Otherwise, it's Bonehead Weekly under everything else. Don't get confused. Anyway, The Invaders. I highly recommend it. Written by... Joe Esterhouse. Dick Matheson. Damn it. <laughs> Really, I don't know. Really? <laughs> do, you know. do you think there's four people out there going, "Oh my God, Joe Esther House striptease"? I brought, I, I, I revisited Cars Part One. Do you think there's people out there going, "Oh my God, Joe Esther House <laughs> striptease"? A lot, of, a, a lot of banging going on in the evaders. A lot of banging with Moorhead. Yep. <laughs> James, I'll let you go second this time. Why? Because you're Indeed. still laughing about not getting Moorhead. No, you. Yeah, Go, James. 
you know, I, I'm, like I said, I said it last episode. I'm torn, but an episode that always sticks with me, I'm just going to have to get it you out there. You were torn, huh? Nice must have been place. from all that sphincter stretching Chad was doing. <sighs> Are you finished? Are you finished, Admiral? Admiral Stockdale, you finished? Can I go now? That Are joke is an antique, sir. Timely. Uh, a nice place to visit. Oh. Uh, written, written by Charles Beaumont. Yep. Directed by John Graham. Mm-hmm. Mm. A nice place to visit is about a criminal who um, gets everything. He's a con man. He's all this stuff, and he uh, dies. And he goes to this place where every time he ever he wants uh, female companionship, and women appear. Uh, he wants to gamble, and he wins. Um, he goes. Uh, he goes to casino. He wins. Nothing ever goes wrong. And um, by the end of the episode, you know he thinks he's effectively gone to heaven. Uh, but a month into it, um, he goes and he, he's greeted by his escort around heaven, or what he thinks is heaven, mm-hmm. is Pip, who is played by Sebastian Cabot. Um, Sebastian Cabot, you may know as the person who vaguely looks like, why am I blanking on the guy that narrated Frosty the Snowman? Burl Ives. Yeah. Burl Ives. Sebastian Cabot looks like Burl Ives. No, um, but uh, he plays Pip, and at the end, he finally goes to Pip, and he goes, I'm getting bored. Why do I always, you know, if everything's perfect, why do I win? And Pip's response, the twist ending, um, he actually goes to Pip and he goes, I, if this is heaven, or I don't want to be here anymore. I'd rather go to the other place to which Pip retorts heaven. Whatever you gave, the, uh, gave you the idea that you were in heaven, Mr. Valentine, this is the other place. <clears throat> yep. And so it's the idea that paradise, if everything comes easy to you, if everything is perfect, if everything is that perfect, if you want a life of any excitement of anything else. So a nice place to visit ends with, Again, Rod Serling's classic narration, a scared, angry little man who never got a break. Now he has everything he's ever wanted, and he's going to have to live with it for eternity in the Twilight Zone. Absolutely. And all I, I want to do... I love it, that episode. It's uh, starting with Zoom Zoom. Just shake your rump. I just want to start screaming uh, lines of Burl Ives of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Mendacity! Mendacity! <laughs> Um, Sebastian Cabot, um, <laughs> no. he does play throughout the entire you episode. You have no trouble believing that he is a guardian angel, and then at the end, he just twists it. He does. He does a very good job. He he he's a far it. superior actor than to the guy that's playing Valentine. Right. Oh, yeah. 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 But, uh, yeah, no. So, I mean, that's one of my episodes because it's a twist that, um, I mean, now we would see it coming in some ways because we're so used to twists, but. Um, it, it, it just sticks with me. So, yeah, that's, that's my second or third or wherever I am. Who am I? You ready, Moorhead? Yeah, um, I'm going to talk about the episode called Four O'Clock. Four O'Clock? Either one of you all familiar with this episode? I'm nine where I am. Is it PM or AM? <laughs> I gotta take my back pill. So, Four O'Clock, uh, directed by Lamont Johnson, <gasps> who really. He, you he, big dummy. He was. <laughs> <laughs> he was actually. A, I made two of you laugh. Probably. <laughs> he was actually a very prolific uh, director of television. Um, yeah. 
But uh, and it was this one was also shocker written by Rod Serling. <gasps> so four o'clock. Um, it is about it is a basically just one guy. All the whole episode for thirty minutes, just one guy in a room. His name is Oliver Krangle. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was played by, and I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this name, I'm sure, Theodore Beichel. Mm-hmm. Um, in the episode, he plays an aloof man who believes his one purpose in life is to expose all the evil in the world. Um, the one problem he believes everyone is evil. Uh, so he he investigates people and spins fantastic tales of them being murderers, perverts, and shocker communists. Based on this point, mm. um, I wonder and, who he's talking about. And the whole and the whole time he's he's basically ruining the lives of everyone he investigates. Um, he keeps these detailed files in his room. He he's always like sitting at his desk writing these things up, calling people on the phone. He wears these big Coke bottle glasses. You're familiar with this episode? It's been a long time since I've seen it. James, are you familiar with this episode? Uh, yeah, I. I... It's been a while since I've seen it, but yes. Yeah, yeah uh, it, really it, it, it is one of my favorite episodes. I remember vividly. Um, um, but his final, and midway through the episode, he just okay, he he's trying to figure out how to expose all the evil in the world. And he just randomly, he comes up with the, the most cleverest way of exposing evil in the world. Um, and to, sh to expose the true nature in the most visible way possible. And that being, he just randomly comes up with he is going to make every one of them small. He is going to shrink every... No idea how he's going to do it. You know what? I may have never seen this episode. It is an, I thought I had, but It I is an amazing episode. And when is this plan going to go come to fruition? At 4 o'clock. And it's all building up to 4 o'clock uh, that he's going... That this plan he's is in going, one room, right? He's in one room. Right. Uh, everything I, I, takes I place in one room. But I don't room. remember how it ends. Um, and, and I'm not going to spoil the ending, but it, it, it has a clever little twist of when 4 o'clock hits... A, a very a, a twist happens. Um, it is one of my favorite episodes. It's not my favorite episode. I'll get into that soon. But um, yeah, it's just an amazing episode of just this one demented man who thinks he's like the savior of the world, and really, he is one of the most despicable people on the planet. Now, how many episodes do we want to do? We really didn't talk about this beforehand. How many more? How many more do you want to go through, James and Chad? I I've got dozens. I literally have about three I'd like to at least mention. But okay. two of them I can I've got combine. two. I've got two and three. Okay. All right. So back to me again. Who did I live off on? Oh, man. There's so many good Matheson ones. But I don't want to take the ones that you're going to do probably because of Shatner, James. Um, the... I'm gonna do the the. I'm not gonna do the one that got remade in a Twilight Zone movie. I'll put it that. Way. Well, that one's directed by Richard Donner. So if you want to do that one, by all means. Well, can, right. I, well, okay, I'll talk about two of them that were both written by Matheson. Is it okay if I do two? Go for it. One of them is Nightmare in Twenty Camera Hog. One of them's a Nightmare in Twenty Thousand Feet. It was remade by George Miller in the movie Twilight Zone, the movie. Uh huh. Um, there's a great in, in the original. It was starred William Shatner as a man who has had a nervous breakdown. Yeah. And he's being transported back, and is afraid of flying. And on the wing, he sees something, and it's a gremlin attacking the plane, and no one will believe him. Quick point of correction. He sees some thing, thing on the wing. Some thing on the wing. Yeah. So, thank you for that. In the movie, 
It's and, John Lithgow. Which is a far... Uh, you may argue both as no, a no, far no, no, superior no. performance. John Lithgow is in the movie, Nightmare 20,000 Feet, or in the, in, and we'll get to the Twilight Zone movie in a little while. Actually, I'm going to tell you, not only is it a far superior performance, it's a ten times better episode and story. Yep. Richard Donner would go on to direct Lethal Weapon, Superman. Superman. He's an amazing guy. Goonies. He's Goonies. Uh, Lady Hawk. <laughs> toys. I'm gonna, Radio, I'm argue Radio Flyer. Yeah, ooh. <laughs> the Toys, which is the toy, toy, yeah. is, No, uh, the Toy is Richard Pryor. He's got a Superman 2. He also, not. no, he directed Toy with Robin Williams. No, 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 you now know those stories. That's Barry Levinson. That's Barry Levinson. Damn. What'd you say? Oh, I was saying, his, his cut of Superman 2 is not better than what, I mean. No, Richard no. Fleischer's, no, no, no. No, no. But anyway, back to what I, but he never really got to finish it either. I always think that's so unfair. Yeah. But back to what I was saying, lovely, wonderful, and it's one of the few that's fairly adapted into the movie straight <clears throat> from the show. I mean, yeah. they don't change a lot. It's just a far superior. George Miller had a lot more money and a lot more time and a lot more effects. We'll get to the movie in a little while. That's one. The other one, though, that I have to talk about was also directed by Jacques Tonnerre. And it's called Night Call. And it happens to be one of the six that are directed or that were shot on videotape. Okay. And they only did it, I think, for six episodes. It's the ones that look a little weird if you go back and watch them. They're actually shot on videotape. Um, Twilight Zone was one of the first shows to do that. They only did it for six. It was cheaper, but they kind of got away from it and went back to film, thank God, because they were ready for fear. Jacques Tonnerre directed Cat People. He's a famous French filmmaker. He directed uh, a lot of the Val Luton pictures in the 40s. Yeah. So, but he never, ever got here. Mm -mm. Do you know what I mean? Right. Night Call is about a little old lady who is at home by herself. Oh, yeah. Has a night nurse. Yeah. It's one of the creepy Twilight Zone episodes. And being directed by Jacques Tenet, who, like I said, directed... Cat people and a lot of the Val Luton films that only relied on atmosphere, right? That's yeah. what they had to rely on because they didn't have any special effects, and those movies were made cheap, and that's what they're famous for, and they're done beautifully. However, shadows, things like that. She gets a call, she hears a voice, uh, can't quite make it out, keeps calling, keeps calling. She has a nurse to call it, to call the phone company, keeps calling. Hello. Hello. It's very creepy. Even after all this time. Have you guys watched it lately? No. It's still slightly creepy. Listen to that voice on the uh, other oh end. Oh, yeah. No, the, the voice is creepy. So, eventually, they track down to that it's coming from a graveyard. And when she gets there, they, she has the nurse take her there. She's a bedridden woman. She finds that the phone, the wire, has fallen down at the grave. And it's fallen down at the grave of her high school sweetheart. Or of her boyfriend that she was going to marry who she was very demanding of, and they're in a car accident, and he's died, and that's the reason why she's handicapped now. Mm-hmm. And she basically ended up getting him killed. Yeah. And she gets so excited to go back and to be able to talk to him that night, and the phone company fixes the wire. Oh, uh, yeah. And that's just sad. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's a downer, but that's the great thing about the Twilight Zone. It could be almost anything. It needed a twist. Yeah. But in that frame, you could do almost anything. And I just love it. Yeah, it's a great episode. Because it's creepy and it's sad. Yep. And it brings it all together at the end of loss, tragedy, 
and unfulfilled dreams. I'm done. Yep. Sorry. Who wants to go next? James, go ahead. <laughs> Man, I... Mm, um... Uh... Let's see. Um... You know, I'm gonna... I, this is hard. Um, I want to bring up at least in passing one episode, just simply because it's it, it's it's been a a major motion picture relatively recently. Oh, it, I know what it's going to be. It, it was in a Simpsons episode. Yep. Um, it was in a Futurama episode, and I'm having to talk about Steel. Yep, absolutely. Richard Matheson. It was based on one of his short stories. He adapted into a screenplay. The story itself was from 1956. It was um, directed by Don Weiss. Weiss? Weiss? Weiss Weiss? Um, but if you've seen the movie Real Steel with Hugh Jackman, that's a riff of Steel, except the plot to Steel is that it is in the far-flung future of the year 1974, um, and Lee Marvin... Uh, if I was about Lee to Marvin, say, Lee Marvin's in a couple of good Twilight Zone episodes. He's in a really good one about a gunfighter, but keep going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lee Marvin plays Steel Kelly, and he was one of the last human boxers. In the future, basically, it became battle bots. You build, uh, yeah. you build a robot, they box for you. But he was one of the last ones, so he now has became the manager for this battle bot, which is a B2 battling Maxo robot. Mm -hmm. The problem is it's broken, mm -hmm. and they have a fight coming up. And if he doesn't, you know, if he can't make the fight, He's going to lose everything and all of that stuff. And as the, it goes on, he's got, uh, you know, uh, people depending on him, all of that stuff, all the ethos and all of that stuff. And there's no way that, you know, he can win uh, with this broken robot. So what does he do in the end? He takes the place of the robot, right. fakes being a robot, right. and is the unbeatable robot. Uh -huh. um, and, and the closing narration by Serling is again kind of this classic um, you know it doesn't go well <laughs> um, and so it ends with portrait of a losing side proof positive that you can't outpunch machinery proof, proof also of something else that no matter what the future brings man's capacity to rise to the occasion <clears throat> will remain unaltered his potential for tenacity and optimism continues, as always, to outfight, outpoint, outlive any and all changes made by society, for which three cheers and a unanimous decision are rendered in the Twilight, Twilight Zone. So if you've seen Real Steel, if you've seen any of those episodes, those are all riffing on this Richard Matheson story about, again, this, this human boxer who's past his prime and he's trying to hang on to the only life he knows and he's having to adapt to machinery, but when the machinery fails him, he pretty much puts himself in the ring to die. Yep. And the best adaption, of course, is that of uh, robot jocks. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's it, Chad. Yeah, it sure. It sure is. So, that's that's great, Chad. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna. Uh, this one's gonna be a quick one because I I want to my my last one's gonna be my favorite episode of all time, of the Twilight Zone. Okay. Um, and uh, I'm gonna re uh, in part one of this. James, the last one he discussed was what was the one about the lady who turned into a leper? Yes, Bell. Yes, Bell, and that the it was played by Anne Francis, right? Yes. And it's uh, you said something about a mannequin in that one, right? Yep. <laughs> okay. After hours, 
aware of that one? Yeah, James? yeah. It's, it's very it's very similar. It's a movie starring Griffin Dune directed by Oh, you jerk. <laughs> no, it um so they it's actually called The After Hours. Um it was directed by Douglas Hayes, written by Rod Serling. Right. Um she plays a woman who uh, buys a thimble on the ninth floor of a uh, Anne Francis, I should say, uh from Forbidden Planet who was also in the episode that James mentioned. Yep. Uh plays a woman who buys a thimble on the ninth floor of a department store. What's the one sidekick? One one little thing. There is no ninth floor. Right. Um, and uh, it's the whole episode of, you know, she's trying to figure out what happened. It's at night. It's at this, the store is closed. And there's a quick little twist at the end. You're not going to give away the twist? I don't want to give away the twist. I don't like giving away twists. You don't think they've seen it? If they haven't, they, they're going to go check it out. Even if they have seen, even if you tell them the twist now, 50, what is James doing? I don't know. Entertaining myself, but I don't give. I don't like giving away to it. Well, let's just say it doesn't work out for Anne Francis. No, it does not. In a positive way. In Forbidden Planet. Yeah. Yeah. She apparently gets hosed all over the place, turned into a leopard, thrown on a planet that nobody knows. It's forbidden, dude. It's forbidden. It's forbidden. Um. So yeah, I that's. I mean, I swear, it's like there's a tempest there, James. Forbidden. And this actually is my one exception. I made I made a Shakespeare joke, really, to the guy who's the most educated. Nothing. All right. But this is this is my one exception of the where I said I I did research and none of my episodes were on any list. This was like on epi- this was uh, that should be on several. Lists. It was uh, the one that I found it on. It was like number fifty out of the top fifty. Uh, you know, it's a good episode. It's a good episode. It's not the best episode. It it no. was an episode that I didn't see. Where I, the main reason I brought it up is I didn't see that ending coming. I, would, I was wondering what it was building up to, and then that one, it just, the, the, the ending just threw me for a loop. That's why I brought it up, because I was like, I never saw it going there. Right. It, it was completely out of left field. Joe. No, well, Jay, are we doing our favorite episodes now? I, I'm not. I, I, we're we're going to talk about the, we're going to talk about one more episode, and then we're going to go on to other stuff, but the last episode, the, the one I'm bringing up is my personal favorite episode. Okay, you want to do one last episode, all three of us, or James, do you have more than one? I'll run through mine quickly because I want to. I want to mention go a ahead. couple of them, but I don't want to go into details. Go, then you go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Okay. No, I'll go. you want me to go ahead and do it? Well, I my last episode actually didn't put on here my favorite one because I'm arguing with myself. I mean, there's so many good ones because I didn't even get to the Rod Serling ones, Monsters Do, Maple Street, uh, Eye of the Beholder. I mean, uh, a couple of them you went on. I mean, I, hopefully we have a Richard Keel reference here before it's all said and done. <laughs> just throwing that out there for phil and craig hopefully there's a richard kill i'm hoping one of you two picks nope. that one nope do you even know what i'm talking about nope james well, i know, you know what you're talking about but i i know who, who are we serving again james man maybe some men all right i've heard it's raining them swear do you want me to go with do you want me to do with my favorite one go. it is nothing makes me happier i will well, I shouldn't say nothing makes you happier. But it is the one episode. There's two. And I'll watch them both. One's a Christmas episode, and I'll give it really quick. And it is... Uh, crap, it left my mind. What is the Christmas episode? Night of the Meek? Night of the Meek. Night of the Meek. And then Night of the Meek means, even though it is so schmaltzy, even though it just pours out sugar it, it just it's one of my favorite ones and actually they did a really good update or a decent update of it as well for the 85 version Night of the meek really quick is about uh, a, a guy who plays santa claus and is a drunk 
and gets fired from his job as Santa Claus and he just can't stand the poverty, the sadness, and just the horrible conditions not only did some of these people live in but mostly the children and that he's unable to help them. And you can figure out where it goes from there. Yeah. That's not that's my second favorite episode though. The best episode of all time, I stop every single time. Will the real Martian please stand up? No, that's a good. <laughs> that's it's, a good. It's voted, by the way, by several people the best, somewhat humorous episode. It's, that's my it's, favorite. It's episode. an amazing episode, and it's one of my top ones. Yes, it's got Jackie Lim in it as yeah. a crazy guy. Yeah, Jackie Lim always played a crazy guy. Will the real Martian stand up? Will the real Martian please stand up? A bus. On the way to who knows where, stops at a diner because a bridge doesn't look quite right. It's a snowy night. All these people get off at the diner. These two cops see a flying saucer or what they think is a flying saucer land. They show up at the diner and then they start asking questions because they saw some footsteps and they're investigating and they say, or how many people were on the bus? And I can't remember the number. It's either five or six and there's seven people there. Mm -hmm. So there's one person. And they asked the bus driver, which one is a well, I don't know. Everybody got on and yada, yada. Who do you remember? Well, there's a pretty girl who remembers her. There's a couple. And then people start questioning each other. It's the same plot as The Thing. John yep. Carpenter's The Thing. Yep. Who's the real alien? Right. Who's the Martian? Who's the Venetian? Who is all these things, right? Venetian, I'm sorry. It's funny. It's hilarious. Yep. It's entertaining. Everybody in it is amazing. It's one of those where everybody gives a great performance. The writing is spot on, and it has a great twist ending. It does. It's one of my favorite episodes. A great twist ending. I, and I guess I shouldn't give it away. If you've not seen, if you couldn't care less about the Twilight Zone, at least go out and check with a real Martian. Please stand up. I, I, I assure you, it is well worth 30 minutes of your time. Right. I agree. Well, and it's actually one that's mentioned on a lot of just TV lists. Because it's, it's just got a great a television. TV. It's a great 30 minutes. And and, it, yeah. and once again, if you know, even if you know what's about to happen, I, I go back and watch it. I've gone back and watched it and just to look at the stuff in the background of how much the eggs were because they're in a diner and that the pie is this and all the, just looking back at all the details, I just love it. I just, yeah. I can't say enough no, wonderful it's, things it's, about it. Yeah, it's one of my favorite episodes of all time. But I didn't bring it up because I had the... Again, I'm going obscure. Uh, James, do you want me to go or do you want to go? You, you go ahead because I want to run through about five of them. Okay, so, James. <laughs> so my favorite episode of all time, uh, directed by Richard Donner, written by Rod Serling, The Jeopardy Room. Okay. Uh, it's one of my... It's probably my favorite episode. It, if, if it's on, I will sit down and watch it. Um... Sometimes when I'm bored, I will actually outwardly seek it because I just... Um, so what is the Jeopardy Room? Um, after serving many years in a Soviet prison, a major Ivan Kuchinko, played by... Uh, and Martin Landau, who was also in Mr. Denton on Doomsday. Um, Martin Landau is still one of my favorite actors. And um, and he just recently passed. He just recently year. passed. Yeah. He's, in my, he's in one of my top movies of all time, Ed Wood. Mm -hmm. um, he's... With really one of the best performances, best best supporting actor. The he was nominated the same year as Sam Jackson, and he, I, to my for Pulp Fiction, and to my in my mind, that's one of the only years that Sam Jackson wouldn't have won. Right, yeah. Right, Barn. I mean, yeah. Martin uh, Martin Landau as Boris Karloff, Bela Lugosi, Bela Lugosi, Bela Lugosi. 
Um, it's one of the best performances it's one of, the, of all time. And it's one of the most iconic uh, roles of all time, too. Um, but uh, he... Um, he is seeking asylum in the U.S. Um, and midway through his route, he is eventually tracked down by Commissar Vazilov, played by John Van Drelen. From, do you know what he's from? Mm. He was in the original 13 Ghosts. Oh, really? Yes. Um, Vasilov uh, then gives him an ultimatum. Kachinko can go about his way. If he can find the bomb that, that, um, that Vasilov has hidden in his room and he has three hours to find it and, or will go off. If he tries to leave the room, he will be killed. Um, um, so yeah. And the, the, the entire episode takes place in one room. As you see Kachinko slowly, a man who has been beaten down for years by the Soviet government, um, trying to, you know, break free finally. Um, and it has a great twist at the end. And, um, the episode, and it, um, you know, I don't remember it. You don't remember the ending? I think, no, I don't I don't know that I remember it, the episode that well. It is it's on about three lists of underrated episodes. It popped up on three different lists no, of really? episodes that were underrated. Because I couldn't find it on any list. But yeah, it's it's just an amazing episode and it's like I said, it's underrated. A lot of people don't talk about it. But um whenever I think of Twilight Zone, it's one you know, I think about the Burgess Meredith as the mm -hmm. librarian or you know what I mean? Yeah. Um the one you just mentioned and uh but this one and it's just my it's my favorite and just see and and solely for the the fact that it's 30 minutes of a single room and martin landau's performance carrying it the whole way yeah james james Joe. all right nick of time the william shatner episode yeah the fortune and I, uh, I and you can buy that devil box places and why i don't have that on my desk at work is beyond me to I, me, and I'm a, obviously I'm a big Star Trek fan, but to me that's actually a, a, a better episode as far as commentary on the human condition than the Terror at Thirty. Oh no, feet. no, no! That's just a that's a creature feature. And, and Shatner's yeah. performance is in, better in Nick of Time. Yeah, it's um, it, that episode the, truly shows how how great an actor Shatner is. Yeah, because he didn't get to use it a lot. Right. I agree. Um, Not until really the, later the, when he was getting Crane. Another episode, Joe mentioned the schmaltzy one I had on my list, Night of the Meek. The other schmaltzy one that ends dark to me is uh, Big Tall Wish um, with Ivan Dixon playing uh, the boxer. Mm. And he is beat down. He's lost. And a, I believe a six-year-old wishes that he would get back up and win. And he does. Mm-hmm. And he can maintain that if he can just admit that the power of a wish is real. Yeah. But the episode ends with him going back to the kid going, wishes aren't real. You can't believe that. You can't. And it sets resets time and he loses because he can't believe he doesn't have enough belief left in it. Uh, another episode that sounds like a liar, liar to me. Uh, not uh, another episode that doesn't get a lot of credit, but plays really well for me is the midnight sun. Where the Earth is knocked out of orbit and no. it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter. Hotter and hotter. Yeah. You see, and then the twist at the end obviously is really good. Um, the last one I wanted to mention that a lot of people don't talk about, but allegedly was one that George Romero liked, and you can kind of see why, is Mr. Garrity in the Graves. Oh, that is a good episode. Um, oh, God, where he brings him back from the dead? Well, where he says he can? Is that what you're talking about? is Mr. Garrity is a con man. Right, 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 right. He rides into town. He says that, hey, if you'll pay me, I'll yeah. bring your loved ones back. And he's a con man. He takes all the money. 
and then he leaves. But he basically gets paid not to bring them back. What now? He basically gets paid not to bring them back, right? Because yeah, he doesn't he doesn't think he have, has the power. But the end of the episode is the dead rising. Yeah, it's a great episode. And so, and the dead themselves say he doesn't realize the power that he has. You're right. So he really does have the power to bring back the dead. And so you see the dead climb out of graves and all that stuff. Um, and it's cool two, because he's leaving each town and has no clue. Right. Yeah. And he's bringing back the dead all these places. And, and he thinks he's just a con man, but he's actually doing that. The two episodes I said that I could talk about together very quickly, there's two episodes about historical figures influencing modern people. One of them is very dark to me. That's He's Alive. Uh, the other one is The Bard. Both of them deal with, The Bard deals with a modern TV writer bringing yeah. back Shakespeare because he, he can't he break his writer's block. Right. And He's Alive is about this guy who's basically trying to start a uh, hate group, and he starts getting advice, and, of course, it's Hitler. Played by Dennis um, Hopper. Both of those deal with, yeah, Dennis Hopper plays the young kid mm-hmm. who's getting advice from Hitler. So both of these, uh, both of them deal with, and, of course, the fallout of, of both of them is William Shakespeare realizes what a hack television is. commentary <laughs> there. Um, and then, obviously, Hitler laughs as he realizes he's managed to start another hate group. Yeah. So, uh, commentary from both of those. But those those were episodes that not they don't always get a lot of mention. So I wanted to throw them out there. But that's those, those are ones I wanted to run through quickly. I will say though, the the the, the lighting on the one uh, the one about Hitler is terrible because you know right away, oh, he's Hitler. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's no twist in that. Yeah, it's no. just funny. The the twist is how does. Dennis Hopper's character not realize this is a bad way to go. Yeah, yeah. Because the only person that cares about him is a group that he hates. Right. Yeah. The old man that takes care of him. So. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's more, but. Oh no, we could be here all night. So I want to move on a little bit. A little bit of the history after that. Twilight Zone eventually got canceled, like I said, and he's eventually sold the syndication rights and everything to CBS. CBS owns the Twilight Zone. For years, they didn't want to bring it back. People would want to bring it back. Serlin wanted to bring it back. He went on to do other shows. He went on to most notably do The Night Gallery. Right. And we could do a whole episode about that. We're not going to. That started Spielberg's career and several other people as well. And as we mentioned, too, about the fact that he died when he was 50. He died in fifth, at, at, at 50 at, at years old. At the age old. of 50. But if you look at the Night Gallery, the man clearly looks like he's in his 60s, 70s. And he's he's yeah, he's in his late 40s. Yeah, he had three heart attacks. One slowed him down. The second one was pretty harsh, which caused open heart surgery in the early 70s, which was still very dangerous right. at the time. And then he had another heart attack during the surgery, which killed him a day later. Uh, very sad, died at 50. I've read before and I've heard this and I've, I could not find the quote. One of his children said that he worked himself to death. He did have a three or four pack a day cigarette habit. I'm assuming he had probably cardiac issues, yeah. right? And the smoking probably didn't help. The, the long all, hours writing television. Right, which is the, very you know, Let's face it, creating, producing your own television show little bit stressful just stressful this is sometimes stressful and this isn't even that yeah well of course Haley's got all the stress i know anyway she handles it well they would eventually do because of the power of spielberg a movie right right 
What's the best part of that movie? What's the best part of that movie? That's John Lithgow? John Lithgow. Okay, I just want to make sure we were on the same page. James, is that your agreement on that? Well, yeah, I, I would I would say so. Yeah. There's four segments. There one uh the wraparounds directed by John Landis, but so the the first episode about a guy who's uh, a racist is directed by John Landis. The second episode, uh Wish Him Into the Field, the original one is uh who play what's the name of that that child actor he was in so much? Uh Billy Bill. Do you know what I'm talking about, James? You yeah, played him in the original yeah. episode. I think he was in Babylon Five, wasn't he? Yeah. Bill uh, Mummy. Bill Thank Mummy. Thank you. Bill Mummy, right. Bill Mummy played him in the original episode in The Kid Who Has Powers. That one's directed by Joe Dante. Joe Dante wasn't hadn't done Gremlins yet or famous. He was handpicked by Spielberg. He doesn't howling. And then the third one is directed by Spielberg. It's called Kick the Can. That one has Scatman Carruthers in it, but yeah. honestly it's not one of the better ones. No. The fourth one, George Miller. George Miller was an Australian who had directed Mad Max and came over and kicked everybody's ass as far as I'm concerned in that movie. Yeah, second one would be the Joe Dante. The second one's Joe Dante. I agree. And it, it's it, George it, Miller and Joe Dante. The Joe Dante segment was visually stunning. And then probably the opening with John, the John Landis one opening with Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, 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 yeah. At the beginning of it. But no, I, the George Miller, it is far superior to, to the original episode by every stretch of the imagination. James, are you trying to say something or are you just... Well, what I, I wanted to say, you all mentioned the Night Gallery and you mentioned... Um, we blew over it, yeah. Twilight Zone and all that stuff. I wanted to throw out... Rod Sterling was born into a Jewish family. You look very goth right now, by the way. Mm. Is it hot? I was I was going for emo. Ennui. Ennui. Anyway. Um, a Carol for Another Christmas. Do you all know anything about this one? I've never seen it, but I read about it. Yeah, Rod Serling did a modernization of Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol. But, oh, well, yes. the cast, but we did do a whole We episode. did a whole episode on it. What are you talking about? The, the that nobody watched. On, no one or listened. Christmas episode. The cast on this was Peter Sellers. Oh, really? Huh. I need to watch it. And it was Peter Sellers. It, he had actually had his heart attack, Peter Sellers had, and came back to do this. And they got some of the cast from Sterling Hayden, from Dr. Strangelove, yeah. Eva St. Marie, Ben Gazzara, uh, Britt Eklund, and Henry Mancini did the music for it. Britt Eklund was married to Peter Sellers. Yeah. Um, it was recorded for 1966. It was made in 1966. It's not currently commercial available, but twice Turner Classic Movies has broadcast it, much like they did a certain... Uh, that's who broadcast the Bill Murray movie, too, right? Yeah, what's it called? Some of the Moon... Uh, what's yeah. They uh, uh, last it hadn't been broadcast for 48 years, and in 2012, they aired it twice, and it's not been aired since. Hmm. I take that back. They aired it in 2012 and 2013, both years on December 16th and 22nd, and then uh, in 2013, it was on the 19th and 20th. But other than that, it hadn't been seen since the 1960s, and it's not available. But the fact that you had a Jewish writer writing Peter Sellers in a modernization of uh, A Christmas Carol, and it's called A Carol for Another Christmas, with a great cast, with great music. Matter of fact, Mancini took the soundtrack he did for it, and it is available. It's actually available as A Merry Mancini Christmas. You can buy <laughs> that music from it, but you can't see the movie. So I wanted to point out that Rod Serling 
he never. I mean, the fact that they that one of his kids say he died from overwork. He, well, he never, wrote Planet of the he, Apes. He never quit. He no, he never he quit. Wrote, I mean, that came out in the sixties. Oh, he wrote. Uh, there was stuff coming out that he had written after his death. Yeah, yeah. There's well, a, the, there, the, sorry. There's I, a, there's the Twilight Zone episodes, the two episodes that he did was Richard Matheson did one of the scripts, and then one was based on his script, and they did as a failed pilot that was eventually released as the Lost Twilight Zones. Yeah. And those were made, what, in the 90s? Early 90s? Chad was going to watch them. You can find, they're actually available uh, for free streaming on Amazon Prime. And he actually hosted a game show too, the Liars Club. If anybody yeah. knows about that, you know, funny little, funny little side note about um, you mentioned Planet of the Apes. One of the uh, one of the directors of uh, some of the episodes, Ted Post, who uh, was known for directing Magnum Force and Hang 'Em High, also directed Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. So, all right. So I want to go. I know we talked about the movie, but before we the finish hell up. Was that? Oh, James is pouring a soda. People have poo-pooed on several of the Twilight Zone relaunches. I'm not. I never watched any of the Forrest Whitaker one. I don't know. I've been told it's not very good. I didn't watch the newest one. It's about to be redone again by, by whom? Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele, who's a very talented man, who I believe is also going to be taking on the the narrator the narrator portion part, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Um, one thing I wanted to throw out real quick, though, by the way, the fact that the reboots aren't overly popular. If you go to the episode by episode guides on like IMDb, where you look up individual episodes, right. a lot of them are still highly rated. There's just some real lemons in there too. Right. So I mean, there's some of them that are seven, eight, nine level ratings, but it tended to be certain episode right so i really want to talk about the 85 relaunch now the 85 relaunch was brought by by cbs they had they were going to throw a lot of money at it i want to talk to you about some of the talent that was associated yeah, with and we show. briefly mentioned this in the harlan episode harlan ellison right episode. harlan ellison was one of the big ones they, they thought they'd never get him back to television well they did get him back of course he ended up quitting later on anyway shocker they basically almost ordered a complete series which will lead me to a little bit harlan ellison George R. R. Martin, he went on to do nothing, yeah, right? Right. Rockney S. O'Bannon. Look at some of the directors that directed for the Twilight Zone, the '85. Wes Craven directed about five or six of them. Right. William Freakin did one called Nightcrawlers. That's still weird. I mean, it's still dark. Tommy Wallace, Tommy Lee Wallace, who directed Halloween Three. And and uh, it. <laughs> Let's let's right, let's yeah, let's yeah. try to remember it. Yes, and as it, it was amazing. It, it was executive produced by Phil DeGuire. Phil DeGuire was famous for Simon and Simon, which was a show that was really popular in the eighties. And the first show was called Shatter Day. That was the first one that was released. Shatter Day is based on a what kind of story, James Thomas? That's a Harlan Ellison story. That's a Harlan Ellison story. It was directed by Wes Craven, and it starred a guy that went on to do nothing named. Uh, you mean a uh, star of uh, North, Bruce Willis? Bruce Willis, the star of North. That's right. Thank you for pulling that out. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say Mortal Thoughts. I was trying to think of the obscure Bruce Willis films. Um, it was Serling's decision to sell the show. Blah 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 blah. Okay. So when it premiered in '85, they originally sold the show for it to be. Phil DeGuire said it has to be on at 10 p.m. because. They had they gave them a lot of freedom. So some of the episodes would be ten minutes, some of them would be fifteen, some of them were thirty, and they put them all together for an hour, right? Mm-hmm. 
They were supposed to go on at 10 p.m. When did the show premiere? Friday at 8. Yep. What is as happening at 8 o'clock on a Friday night? What'd you say, James? I said, as was the prophecy. As was the prophecy. What's happening at Friday night at 8? Steve Urkel is annoying the world. Family freaking matters is bothering people on ABC's family. And what it's family time around the television. The kids haven't went to bed. Though, as we previously mentioned in the Harlan Ellison episode... Dinosaurs was on, and dinosaurs kicked ass. And we were drunk. All these. I just wanted to mention. All I wasn't this. drunk. I was like twelve. Well, those people. Well, you were. Drunk I was totally kinda. drunk at twelve. Um, shooting they, heroin. They finished off. It lasted another season. There's some great episodes. Check them out. They're not all Harlan Ellison written by, but there's some other ones. They finished off the series actually in Canada in eighty eight, eighty nine. Later, after they canceled it, right. to do syndication, and most of those are written, or and uh, or a lot of them are written by J. Michael Straczynski, yep. JMS. And not all of them are good, but I, I, I argued with somebody a couple of years about this because they were talking about how crappy the 80s version is. And I've written, I've owned the box set, went back and rewatched them. Some real winners in there. Some really winners. And there was a lot of, I mean, the actors ranged from, like I said, Bruce Willis to Morgan Freeman. Yeah. Just wanted to make sure that you... I mean, the, 80, the 80s version of, and the 80s version of Twilight Zone was my introduction into Twilight Zone. Oh, and you know who did the music for that one? No. The Grateful Dead. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah The I Grateful Dead did the uh, opening music for that, by the way. So, how has the Twilight Zone influenced us? Uh, we talked about J.J. Abrams says it's the his favorite Real show. Real quick, can, I, can we touch on the 2002 reboot? I don't know anything about it, so go right ahead. Yeah. Well, so, the 2002 reboot came about because of money. Now, um, it was, again, the, the third revival of the show um it was trying to deal with more contemporary issues that was the idea behind it was that they were trying to actually be true to rod serling and actually say rod serling dealt with what was going on let's try to do that so they built in a lot of different things like commentary on terrorism ongoing racism gender roles, the rise of stalking, and things that were heavy in the news then. Um, it launched with a lot of talent at the time. Jason Alexander. Um, Duckman's Jason Alexander. Uh, I was no? going to see Boris uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle's Jason Alexander. Yeah. yeah, Jason Alexander played Death in an episode. Lou Diamond Phillips Is uh, did an episode. Uh, Brian Austin Green, Jeffrey Combs, is it a hypochondriac who's, uh, when um, you think? Hold on, hold on. Out of everything you just listed, why you Brian Austin, Austin Green? Green. I, I, it, he was a name that was listed on uh, people that you forget were in the Twilight Zone. Pretty <laughs> sure you could have omitted, omitted Brian Austin Green. Go on um, with your point. We don't believe you anymore. <laughs> Anyway, Jeffrey Combs is a hypochondriac whose diseases become reality. Uh, and Catherine Heigl played a woman who gets to travel back in time on a suicide mission. She won't be able to travel forward and she will die. And she has a limited time period to find and kill the infant Hitler. Uh, star, um, star of the Hall's cough drop. Because we've never Catherine heard of that Heigl. one before. Yeah. Uh, Horace Leachman did episodes. I mean, they really did try to put some talent behind it. Uh, Brian Austin Green. (laughs) They updated episodes. Um, The 
of the Beholder got remade. The monsters are due on Maple Street. Maple Street. The monsters are on Maple Street because yeah. they're already there. It was commentary on terrorism and all of that. Right. Uh, By the way, that is a great Twilight Zone episode as well. Yeah. Mm. But, I mean, Elizabeth Berkeley did episodes. Christopher Titus did episodes. <laughs> a ton of talent went into it. Christopher um, Titus? I, I, don't get me wrong. Christopher Titus is a funny guy. And Elizabeth Berkeley showed off her nubbins to everybody and anyone and, but I don't know that... I mean, there's a shovel's worth of yeah, time. You started time. out strong. And then you went to Brian well, Austin Green. Again, what channel was this on, folks? UPN. I'm assuming Fox. UPN. Oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. They, they, it was at the time, the money they were putting... The show they put most of their money in. But let me remind you that this was also the channel that gave us Homeboys in Outer Space. Which is They're an on, epic... There, we're putting a lot of money into it. Was not NBC or CBS is a lot of money. I would want to drive in space in the hoopty. <laughs> yes, the space hoopty. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to bring it up because it was. I think the heart behind it was less comment on what's going on now, yeah. and they did get some of the actors that were still alive that were in the old uh, series. Um, and again, getting people like Jason Bateman and, and, and some of the modern actors and stuff like that. I can imagine um, Ida Lupino going, Oh, I get to act with Brian Austin Green. Uh, Ida Lupino. Giving some people some chance. Lou Diamond Phillips actually directed an episode. Um, Jonathan Frakes directed a couple episodes of it. Two Cakes Frakes! Oh my God. I think you scared um, everybody in this. <laughs> I just need to wake you all up. James would put us to and, sleep uh, then, with Brian Austin Green. <laughs> One of my favorite films that Robert. nobody else seems to like, uh, Peter yeah. O'Fallon directed an episode. Who? Uh, directed a couple different episodes. He's best known for directing uh, Suicide Kings uh, with Christopher Walken and Dennis Leary. Uh, but he also did direct A Rumor of Angels, uh, a lot of TV and stuff like that. Worked on um, uh, a lot of TV shows and stuff like that. So, uh, but my point was, uh, Forrest Whitaker tried to do uh, a, a good introduction, tr and it was trying to update it, um, but they didn't have the budget, or quite frankly, again, what we talked about in the first episode, why did the Twilight Zone work? Rod Serling and the writing. Writing. The writing. And they didn't have the writers. They had people who had ideas. But the commitment to ideas and the budget, it just never came together. Was there and any writers was there any writers of note that you were I'm aware sorry, of? Haley was doing a contortionist thing that caught me by surprise. What what um no, I mean as far as written by uh Iris Steven Beer. Um, Haley just wrote, told me to suck it off camera. <laughs> <laughs> Iris Steven Beer Beer, I forget how it's pronounced, but he wrote several episodes of, of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Yeah. He's actually the one that created the Fringy Rules of Acquisition. If you're a Star Trek fan, I love the Fringy Rules of Acquisition. The what? The Fringy. <laughs> I meant to say Fringy. He actually wrote the episode that dealt with racism, which was called Shades of Guilt, and it's about a fifty uh, guy that won't stop to pick up an African American professor. The professor is later beat to death by a hate group, and the guy uh, slowly that refused to pick him up and refused to help him slowly, his skin starts to darken. That's actually pretty uh, good. Hmm. Was uh, that the Cameron, Brian Austin Green episode? No, no. That episode, uh, Chad starred um, 
Uh, oh, shoot. Who, who was in that? Jason Priestley. We have to wrap this episode up eventually, and I haven't even talked about the Tower of Terror, James. Uh, anyway, there's a lot of talent. Uh, not, But no, it never had the writers. Ira Stephen Beer is probably the best-known writer that worked on it, and he did one episode. Mm. Um, the, as far as directors, the most famous director other than Jonathan Frakes that worked on it is the guy that was known for directing... Uh, the last episode of Star Trek Beach Space Nine, Star Trek Voyager, and Star Trek Enterprise. And okay. I'm forgetting his name, but there you go. All right. So, I did, you did your 1985. I wanted to give, let's do our research and do it all. You did so good. There you go, 2000. Well, With you your did Brian right. Austin Green trivia. You did all right. <laughs> did all right. Now I want to look up and see what Elizabeth Walterface is doing now. You want to talk about Tower of Terror? Twilight Zone Tower of Terror, go ride it. It's really cool. <laughs> There's a great picture of me screaming on it somewhere. Someplace. No, that's slowly going away now because in Disneyland, well, that's They've replaced place. it at Disneyland with it, but they're not doing that in Disney World. Yeah, they can't do it in Florida because no. of Universal Studios. Yeah, they're they're oh. no, they're doing it. They're doing a Guardians of the Galaxy ride that it replaced out of the um, Energy Ellen's Energy Adventure. They're actually building it while I was down there. Oh, did they? Because for a long time it was they couldn't have any Marvel properties. Sorry, it's I can't the, see you for Chad. They couldn't have any. The, the contract said they couldn't have any Marvel properties. Yeah, no, Marvel. Guess, no, no. They've got it's it's building. They're building and it, It's right behind on where Ellen's adventure was. But that we're getting off the point. Yeah, Tower, Tower of Terror is a great ride. If you're a huge fan, check it out. They did this whole basically thing with Rod Serling after he's dead. That being said. I think the influence is everywhere. We right. still see it. I think well, even though... I was going to say, the comic books. There's been Twilight Zone comic books almost since the show started in the 50s. And radio plays. And still, there's a great one that Lou Diamond Phillips, oddly enough, did that I listened to when we went out west last year. And it's one where the guy is on the wagon train. I forgot the name of it. And their little girl's dying and he has to walk off to try to find something to help them out. And he ends up in basically modern America. And gets medicine and brings it back. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? They've done every well, kind of thing. Go which ahead. you know. Oh, sorry, James. Well, I was gonna say the comic book outlasted the TV, the original TV series by over 20 years. I didn't know the comic book went that long. It was published until the 1980s, and then it went out of print, or then they stopped. It was originally published by Gold Key Dell, that mm -hmm. company, uh, and then it was brought back a decade later by Now Comics, which is where Harlan Olsen's story got adapted for them, Crazy as a Soup Sandwich. And and that's a, a famous story. Which is story the last episode of the Twilight Zone uh, revamp in the 80s. Yeah, so, um, but again, the Twilight Zone comic book ran from the time the show started for 20 years after it ended. So it almost ran 25 years. And it did have Rod Serling's blessing. So in other words, he... He, he wanted to make sure that it was quality as well. So there you go. I mean, the cultural touchstone of film, of an amusement park ride, of comic books that lasted longer than the show, of it, it's just everywhere. It's everywhere. And then it beat out so many competitors. And James mentioned a few of them. We've mentioned a few of them. Anything else to add, gentlemen? I want to briefly talk about, about that episode you brought about, about the guy going from the West and coming in to find medicine. You know, that was a very, not only did Ross, he kind of repeat himself because the time element basically is that mm. episode. Um, there's an adventure, there's an episode of uh, Amazing Adventures that steals that same thing about somebody going to the Alamo. Amazing Stories? Amazing Stories, sorry, about uh, uh, somebody fighting the Alamo who 
suddenly walks away and then comes into modern day America and sees is that the tourist. By the way, I just ordered that off of eBay the other day because I realized I don't have a copy. I'll have to that was written for the Twilight Zone, Chad. What? If you read the if you read the Twilight Zone companion, the book about the Twilight Zone, that episode of Amazing Stories was supposed to be a Twilight Zone episode. And in the fifth season, when Rod Serling invited somebody else to work on the show, that was one of the scripts that the other guy went, nah, let's not, nobody will care about that. Well, it's been done. We did it twice. Well, but it ended up being coming part of an amazing story. And, Joe, you mentioned that JMS did the last third season of 1985. Well, he, he, he wrote a lot of them, and as a season, as they were making them, because they got rid of all of them, moved it to Canada, that's the reason it looks cheaper. It was 24 minutes, you know, 30-minute episode, so... For commercials, twenty-two to twenty-four minutes, and JMS became the story editor as as it went on for the yeah. rest of that season. Well, what I wanted to say was, don't worry, he's still doing it because he's now the one running the comic book that comes out now. Oh, is he? Is, he is the writer of the Twilight Zone comic book that's been running since two thousand December of twenty thirteen. Wow, good for so him. JMS is still doing the Twilight Zone. Yeah. So again, it's never ended, folks. No, it's and it keeps coming. We're getting a new one with Jordan Peele, and I'm actually excited. I want to see. I just, the problem is, is you're absolutely right. We've never been able to recreate Rod Serling or the writing. Right. In fact, I think no, that's the one thing the 80s one got right was the amount of writers, and, and it, some of them worked. Yeah, it, you need writers on that because if you're going to have a show with you a twist. You need great writers. Yeah, and if you're going to have to have a show with a twist or that makes you actually step back and go, oh, crap. That's a writer that does that. You need great writers with very little interference. Yeah, because that's the thing, too, with uh, uh, The Twilight Zone. The writers are what made the show. The directors, like, the list goes on about the writers and, and their accomplishments. The directors, like, the only thing I could find on certain directors was, like I said, Douglas Hayes, who went on to direct North and South. Ted Post, I mentioned earlier. Uh, Don Siegel, who directed Dirty Harry, mm -hmm. Escape from Alcatraz, and Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And then the only other one, uh, other than Richard Donner, of course, uh, William F. Claxton, who directed James's favorite movie, Night of the Lepus. Mm. And on that, <laughs> and on that, are we good? I'm good. Thank you all so much. Please tune in to Bonehead. Share us as much as you can on your social media. Please watch us and listen to us on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes. Subscribe. Tell us how amazing we are. Tell us how much we suck. As long as you subscribe, we don't care. Comment, rank. Mm -hmm. Email us and let us know. We're going to have a few more episodes coming out soon that we're really excited about. We are, we do. I don't know. Let's yeah. hope. Are you good? For James in Mississippi, this has been Bonehead. Thank you so much. Say bye, rapper James. But <laughs> <laughs> I got a present he can wrap. Oh, oh, no. I'm gonna have to unwrap it. Ooh. Bye, everybody. Bye. Oh, wow. What? I put my shades over the camera and it just adapted. Okay, well, I'll put it back on. It's so funny if you put on an eye. <laughs> Can you do that again? Don't you hurt yourself? They, they gave me new technology. I haven't played with it yet. Oh, you got a new penis. Sweet. <laughs>